Cairo, Seattle. All right, here we go with Bark. Thank you for joining us today. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever the case might be. We know that you have all kinds of choices uh, in the podcast world and appreciate that you're joining us today. We talk about dogs here on Bark, and uh, we're joined by David Fry today, and it's a, it's a pleasure because I think everyone knows who you are, David. Don't they? They should, because if you watch the Westminster Kennel Club Dog Show over the years, and more recently the National Dog Show, you're a co-host on Thanksgiving Day, and so we see you everywhere, and uh, you're the dog guy. <laughs> I've become the dog guy, yeah. I've, I have a great life. I have a great world. I'm truly blessed. I get to hang out with dogs all the time. Defry the dog guy on Twitter, and I know from reading a New York Times story about you that uh, other people have this on their bucket list, too, but I've, I've got things on my bucket list with... I want to go to New Zealand for one thing before I die, and I'm 60, so you know I got to start squeezing these things in. But I want to go to You're Westminster old. too. I've, I've always wanted to go to Westminster, and and you, do you hear that all the time from people? We do hear it all the time. People, when I was there, I was there for 15 years as their PR guy and 27 years doing their television. But they would always call me and say, "I've promised my wife it's our anniversary present, or I want to do it for Valentine's Day." It's always about that time of year, and and it's just a lot of bucket list items for somebody to come because. They can all relate to it. We all have dogs. We love our dogs. They're members of our family. We want to go and be a part of that. Well, is it as cool as it seems on TV when, you, when you're actually there watching? Is there a lot of downtime, or what, what would it be like if I went? No, it was pretty cool when I was there, um, you know, and I just left two years ago, so I don't think they've screwed it up too much. But um, Well, but, the new color it's... analyst isn't as good as the old one, though. Well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> we, um, you know, you stay busy all day long. It's like an advancing bracket in sports, a dog show is. So first you're competing at the, at the breed level, and there's 202 breeds and varieties. So they do that all day long. The, the breed winners then advance into the groups, which are at night at the guard, back at the garden. During the day, the competition is up at one of the piers on the Upper West Side. But um, so, so now you've got a hundred and you've got two hundred and two different breeds uh, spread out over seven different groups, and those seven group winners come together at the very end to see who's going to be best in show. So, if you're a sports fan, you can get into the competition that way. They even had a million dollar bracket. This year, oh, you can fill out a bracket like March Madness. You can fill Madness? out a bracket. Uh, you have to pick every. You have to pick the breed to win in each group, and and if you do that and pick the best in show dog correctly, you win a million dollars. I don't think anybody's won it in the two years they've been doing it, though. No one's won it. I couldn't win it. I I entered it this year for my wife and me, and I couldn't win it. I, it's not that easy to do with you know seven different possibilities. It only takes one group judge in there to screw it up. But one year, uh, or for several years, I think seven or eight years. I actually worked with the sportsbook director, Johnny Avello, uh, at, at uh, um, um, Wins Casino in Vegas. He would set the odds on the dog show. He'd set the odds on each of the breeds and, and pull out, put out a sheet for entertainment purposes only. But he did it, and, and he put the dog show on the big screen in the sportsbook. He said his customers loved it. And, uh, and he picked the winner three of those eight years. I gave him a little help, but he did a couple of them on his own. So it's great fun. The, the world watches. Well, you know what bothers me the most about that show, though. Yeah, I do. I can, you're going to you? tell me. Yeah. 143 years. Never had a... Correct. Golden, Golden Retriever. Retriever. Go best are you show. serious? One of the most popular breeds in the country. <laughs> and what? Are, are They stand there. Do they not look stately enough? Do they, they not look cute enough? Is there something wrong with their hip bones, their tail? I, I try and figure it out because... 
yeah, I stand there and I give give the golden a standing ovation. And there was the one year that the golden from Chuckanut Drive yeah, up there won won the group. Won the group. Yeah, yeah. And I went up and I interviewed the guy and I, I petted the dog and everything. It was kind of cool. Nice just, people. We I helped a friend of mine get a dog from him from them uh, years ago. But uh, yeah, it's great fun. Uh, we think a golden ought to win someday. I think if we if it did, they'd have to rent an apartment for him for the next year for all his media stuff. We went through the same thing in two thousand eight when a beagle named Uno was best in show at Westminster that geez, he he came and lived with me I was his foster father he stayed with me in New York we went all over the place he threw out the the first pitch at two major league baseball games and visited the white house uh, walked the red carpet with Matthew Perry in a Hollywood charity event did all kinds of great things and and uh, I don't I, I don't get, get beagles yeah <laughs> I do not get beagles the the whoo yeah. is their trademark and that and, and Uno was was great because he could do that on cue. I was at an event once with uh, Caesar Milan, and I had Uno there. And Caesar wanted to come over and meet Uno, and he came running from across the room. and And I'm having Uno play up his roo roo roo. I'm throwing, mm-hmm. you know, waving bait at him, and he's rooing away. and And Caesar comes over. I say, "Hey, Caesar, I'm glad you're here just in time. What can I do to get him to stop doing that?" And he looks at me. and He says, "You really want him to stop doing that?" I said, "No, I don't. I, this is, I'm just kidding with you. I, this is what draws the the world to Uno. It was great fun." He's the dog whisperer guy. He is the dog whisperer guy. Do you, do you guy. believe in that? I do, fully. Do I'm, a, I'm a dog whisperer to a certain extent, and I think anybody who has a dog, they are members of the family. And hmm. so we do have some dog whispering going on amongst, amongst the people and the, and the dog, and I think that's great fun. We, we had a woman in here that I interviewed, and I'm, 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 I forget her name right now, but uh, we were going to have it on a podcast, and she believes that she can communicate with dogs that she senses when she looks in their eyes that she can pick well, up on what they're feeling. Do you, do you believe in that too? I don't know that I can have a conversation with my dog, but I can, I can feel what he's feeling, what she, she's feeling. I have two girls now, but um, I can feel what they're feeling and I know what they're doing. And, and I know when my dog follows me around and it's under my feet all day long when I'm trying to pack to come on, on a trip, they know I'm leaving. And so I'm talking to them the whole time about it and how I'm going to miss them and what they need to do when I'm gone and, Mind their mother and and uh, and just don't don't bark in the condo. Don't get the neighbors upset. Yeah, Angel and Grace, and you're Angel down there in Cannon Beach, oh. Oregon. How about that? I, I'm envious. A lot of people are envious to hear that you live in Cannon Beach. Well, you know, I lived here in Seattle for 20 years, and then moved to New York about 17 years ago, and and uh, and was there for 14 years before we moved back to the West. And because of the, the great people that I worked for at NBC, we were able to pull that off. They said you can live anywhere and do this job. I said, that's great. We do two dog shows a year, the National Dog Show in Philadelphia and the Beverly Hills Dog Show in Beverly Hills. And so now I'm able to say to my wife, go find your dream job and I'll follow you instead of me dragging her across country. So she found her dream job, which I knew was going to be back in the West, even though she's a Jersey girl. She is a cougar after all. Yeah, go Cougs. <laughs> yeah, that WSU cougar. And, uh, and I knew she was going to get us back to the West Coast. And, and that's really kind of where she had targeted all along was to get us to Cannon Beach. We had Spent a lot of time playing there. But we still have a condo here in Seattle. We'd like to come up here every once in a while. Yeah, fun to live in Cannon Beach, though. We, uh, are, we are a block off the beach. We're in the most likely place that a tsunami would hit if it were to hit in this country. So, <laughs> so, yeah. well, that's so nice. we got that going for us. There are signs all over town that say tsunami <laughs> evacuation route and point you up the hill to get up out of the, out of the water flow. All right, so when you're not in Cannon Beach, and one of the things I've always, when I watch these dog shows, besides rooting for the Golden Retriever every year, 
<laughs> what, what, I wonder what the dog owners are like. Is there any way, I mean, I know everybody's different, but is there something, or what do they have in common? Well, you know, they have this great dedication and love for their dogs. It's a great family sport, and it's something to do that's fun with your dog. I mean, if, if it isn't fun for the dog, and sometimes it isn't, the dogs just aren't into it, um, it's not going to be fun for you. But this is a way for them to get together. We have a social circle of people as well, and, and it's great fun. And I, I always like to say that, you know, people always ask me, remember the movie Best in Show? came out in 2000. We were talking about it before it you comes, got here today. Every year when I'm doing uh, pre-show publicity, people ask me about it. They mm-hmm. want to know, is this really what it's like? And I say, you know what? They did not make fun of the. It's a satire. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's kind of nice to be the object of a satire but uh, of, of those kinds of people. But uh, they did not make fun of the dogs. They didn't make fun of the sport. They only made fun of the people. And, and I always say we are a target-rich environment in that respect, that, <laughs> that we do have a lot of characters. And when those, some of those people came on screen, I said, I know that person. I've seen that person. I've done this. I've left the, the wrong squeaky toy in the room instead of bringing it to the dog show and had to go back when, when my wife's given me hell. So um, it's, it, it is real dogs, real people in a, in a fun family sport, but we're loaded with characters. And, and do you find that dogs look like their owners? <laughs> Well, yeah, I do. It's not always a good idea to point that out, however. <laughs> I think it's, but we do have a lot of that. Do you have any, uh, like, strangest thing that ever happened at one of these dog shows? Well, I don't know about strange. Craziest? I, you know, these, these are dogs that do, do what dogs do. And whether it's whether running around the ring, one time we had a dog stop. A great Dane stopped right in front of John O'Hurley and me at the National Dog Show and took a great big dump right in front of us. And, and John, of course, Mr. Peterman... Uh, gives me a Mr. Peterman line, and and about fell out of my chair. But he says, I guess that's what he thinks about us, David. <laughs> and so um, I met the real Mr. Peterman too. John uh, bought J. Peterman Company mm-hmm. when he when he was finished with Seinfeld, so he actually owns it. And then he and then the real Mr. Peterman invited us to go to dinner with him one night in New York. So we're there with a, with the two Petermans. We're walking down the street afterwards, and. Somebody leans out of a car and, and yells, hey, Peterman. And they both kind of wave back at the guy. So, you know, That's fantastic. I got a great job. I mean, I do dog shows on television, you know. What, what more could I ask for? Well, and you've been a judge, too. I'm a judge. I was a, we bred Afghan hounds when I lived here in Seattle. I had Afghan hounds. I had the top Afghan hound in the country uh, one year, top winning female in the history of the sport. So, what, what was that like when you have a dog that is the, the national champion? Well, you're going hard every weekend because you can get, nowadays, you can get to 175 dog shows a year if you really try. And back then, there weren't quite so many, but we were still going to 130. And when you're showing, when you're living in Seattle and trying to get to dog shows, you've got to get on an airplane once in a while to get to, the, to, get to these shows. And this was back in the late 80s, early 90s, when uh, you could put, take your dog, you take them as excess baggage and put them in a dog crate and they go in the baggage compartment, which was fine. Uh, and it cost you 25 bucks. Now they're charging you they're charging the same as freight or as cargo. And, and uh, so that makes it a little bit difficult. But we were gone. We went to 130 dog shows that year. And, and we figured on, on about 35 weekends, we were on airplanes flying somewhere for it. So you have to dedicate yourself to build that kind of a record. And that's not always what it's about. I mean, the, the, the heart and soul of the sport is the owner, what we call the owner handler, the person who owns the dog and handles the dog in the show. It could, if we, hopefully, we'd like them to be a breeder owner handler too, where they actually bred that dog and brought it into this world, which is what we did with Zumi. And um, it just, it's competitive. You know, it becomes very competitive. It's like, and, and I'm coming from the sports world, I understand the, the competitive part of it. And, and that, was, that was fun to a point. And I think we just, we did what we, we could do with a great dog. And, 
And after that, it just became, you know, if you don't go best in show today, you've had a bad day. And it's wow. It so the expectations like that. get that high. Yeah, it really does. So, well, as a, as a judge, what are you looking for? Because I sit there and I, I see, you know, everybody kind of, I, I never even know what the judge is looking well, for. Well, it's okay. We say people can judge from outside the ring. And I, I even do it now at dog shows. I'll say, how come he picked that dog when I like this one better? It looked better from outside the ring. But every breed has a written description of the ideal specimen of that breed. It's called a standard. And that's what the judge judges it against. It's usually basing it on, on form versus function, what they were originally bred to do. Tells you, gives you some idea of how they should be built and maybe how tall they should be and kind of coat they should have and, and things like that. So a judge has to know that standard of any dog that they're judging, any breed that they're judging. So um, I judge, I, ju- I only judge my three breeds. That's all I want. Uh, Afghan hounds, Brittany's, and Cavaliers. And, and when I, ju- I just judged 55 Cavaliers in a specialty a week ago in San Diego. So um, you have to know the standard and that's what you're judging on. But at the same time, it's a dog show and you got to show. It's got to be a dog that's enjoying itself and owns the ground it stands over, and then it has to be built in the right way to do its job. Do you shake your head sometimes and think about where you are and, and where you started out? Because I heard that you, you, so you're a coach's kid, and so you would think that you maybe would, would have followed that, maybe gotten into coaching. You, you talked about being heavily involved in sports, and now you're America's dog guy. Well, I always thought, and, and I wrote for the Register Guard in Eugene uh, from the time I was a junior in high school through college, and I always thought, I, always, I say, that my, that my career path was paved with AstroTurf, but, but it really has become paved with wee-wee pads, you know, <laughs> with my dogs. So, um, yeah, it was unusual because I never had a dog. We never had a family dog growing up. And when I moved into my own house in college, uh, my girlfriend said, let's get a dog. I said, oh, okay, you know, well, we'll do anything for our girlfriend. And, and I said, what kind? And she says, how about an Afghan hound? I said, what the hell is that? I had no idea. So we went out, we got the dog. Three weeks later, the girl left, the dog stayed, and it was the best thing that could have happened to me. <laughs> and uh, I met other people with Afghan hounds, eventually got into dog shows and, and uh, the, comp- the competition of it, and that led me to Westminster. Wow. And so where can we see you next? Now, you're involved with uh, a Beverly Hills dog show. We too. just that's shot new. the Beverly Hills dog show um, the first Saturday. This is not a big secret. It's a show that's on tape, but we just shot it a, a week ago. And it will. It now goes back to post production, and John and I go back and we do voiceovers in the, of the competition. We did stand ups at the show and things like that, and it uh, it's edited into a two hour show. We go and do a voiceover. I'm still doing the national dog show. This was only our second year with uh, Beverly Hills, and and now I'm still doing the national dog show too. We just did our 16th show together, me and John, and that's a relationship that's lasted longer than some of my marriages, but. It's it's fun to have a guy like that to be involved with and to be involved in this great sport. But. And you're you're also the uh, the therapy dogs uh, really important to you. You have a charity, don't you? I have a charity called Angel on a Leash. And actually, um, my wife um, Sherry, who uh, worked for Starbucks for years as a flavor chemist, helped uh, invent Frappuccino for God's sake. And uh, of course, I met her right after she had quit that job and gone back to school on a government loan to get her master's in theology from Seattle U. And uh, she wrote her master's thesis on animal-assisted therapy, which I was her dog wrangler, brought dogs to, to school for her to make her presentations and things. But she got me into visiting with my dogs. The first place I visited was uh, Bailey Boucher, the AIDS hospice here in Seattle, and at Providence Hospital, Swedish hospital. And uh, when we moved to New York, uh, Sherry worked for the Ronald McDonald House in New York as, as their Catholic chaplain and as their director of family support. So we would visit there two or three days a week with, with all my dogs. 
And then uh, the thing that I like the most is Grace and I, the Brittany, we visited at the VA hospital every Wednesday. Um, and it was great because I'm their demographic. I'm a guy, I'm their age, and I'm a veteran. So with Grace, we were going and seeing these guys that were, you know, people in need. A lot of guys that would probably be living on the street if they weren't in the hospital in New York City. So uh, we got had a lot of magic moments through all of those. That's fantastic. I was just wondering, so I, I have an 11-month-old. Uh, it's an English cream retriever mix with a golden. And uh, he's, in fact, he's up in the truck right now. And I didn't bring him down because if you, if you turn around, I'll show you why. If you turn and look down at the carpet, you see that's the damage. That's that, a dog home. That's the damage that's home. that my dog did when he was here. I thought it'd be kind of cool since I'm doing this Bark podcast to actually have my dog here yeah. until Aaron and I took our eyes off of him for maybe 30 seconds and he did that kind of thing. See, damage. I say there's no bad dogs, only bad owners. <laughs> so it's your fault. It's your fault. You are right about I'm on that. The side of the dog. No, I know you're right about that. Every time I get mad at him when he doesn't come to me, it's like, well, he doesn't know exactly doesn't, the rules yet. Yeah. You need uh, to convince him that he's doing it because he wants to, not because you want him to. <laughs> but it's the third time I've gotten a golden. And it's the third time I've gotten a, a golden pup from a breeder. And this time, over the first two times, it really made me stop and think, what am I doing? I should go get a rescue. I should go to Humane Society. I should uh, get a dog that route rather than going through the breeder route. And so what, what are things people should think about when they're considering their choices? Well, when they're watching a dog show, it's about purebred dogs because we talked earlier about standards and judging them against. We couldn't write a standard for a dog that, that is a mixed breed dog because who knows? How tall are they supposed to be? You know, what, how much should they weigh? Um, but the purebred dog world has begun to accept mixed breed dogs in competition in their, in their competitive events, like agility and obedience and things like performance events, they call it. So we have a place for mixed breed dogs. The dog show really is a celebration for the dogs in our lives, whether it's they're mixed breed or not. And I always say the real best in show dog is the one that's sitting on the couch next to you at home or sitting in your office, chewing up your carpet. And, and it's, uh, we want to find them homes. We want to find them all homes. When you're dealing with a purebred dog breeder, it's important when you bring a dog into your life that, you're, that you get a dog that matches your lifestyle. If you are a guy that wants to run three miles when you get home every night, don't get a bulldog. I mean, we love bulldogs, but don't get a bulldog. Mm-hmm. Get a sporting dog that can keep up with you. And the thing about purebred dogs is their predictability. I know this little four-pound ball of fluff that's a Pomeranian is going to grow up to be a six-pound ball of fluff. If it's an Akita, they look a little bit like, an, like a Pomeranian at, at four pounds, but they grow up to be an 85-pound active, serious dog. So you have to know that difference. If you're willing to take that chance, and, and believe me, it's great if you do, uh, with a mixed breed dog, they can't always tell you what this dog's going to grow up to be. They say, this dog's not going to be, this dog's going to be 25 pounds and it grows up to be 60. Or if they tell you this dog's hypoallergenic, and none of them are, but that doesn't work either. So we want you to, f- to make a, a good home for a dog. And if you can accommodate a dog and live with the surprises that, that comes with that dog as it grows up, that's great. Find them a home like that, but be prepared for anything that happens because otherwise when they get bigger and they get too much for you or they become something you're not ready for, those are the dogs that end up in shelters. And sometimes it's just because people say, geez, you know, we need a fashion accessory. We got new carpet. And, and I've heard of people taking their dog. I was on the board for the Humane Society here in Seattle for years. We get dogs into the shelters because people say, I just got a new carpet and I don't want my dog peeing all over my carpet, my new carpet. Or it doesn't match the color pattern or, you know, something like that. Or, or 
you know, know what you're getting into. And, and I think that's the important thing, but it can be a mixed breed dog. It can be a purebred dog. Just give them a good home, hug them every day and, and, and be their hero. Cool. We really appreciate your time today, Dave. I, I know you're busy and, uh, I uh, really appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thank you. It's great to be here, Jim. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, that's David Fry. You see him. You've seen him on Westminster Kennel Club Dog Show, the Coast National Dog Show from Philadelphia on Thanksgiving Day, and the Beverly Hills Dog Show. I met David a long time ago through a friend that I used to work with at the Seattle Post Intelligence, or Bud Withers, and it was just at a party, and we started talking about dogs, and then lo and behold, I ended up seeing him on the Westminster Kennel Club dog show. And one thing led to another. And I was glad that we had a chance to sit down with David because I, I just absolutely love those dog shows. He's got the one in Beverly Hills that he's doing now too. So that's uh, that's pretty much it here for Bark. We've done six episodes. And I, I got to tell you, I've really enjoyed doing this. I, I work here as an afternoon sports talk show host at 710 ESPN Seattle. And there are times there are times, I have to admit, in fact, I had a meeting with uh, my boss the other day, Mike Salk, and uh, Aaron Mason is with me, and, and he's really helped me out through this whole thing. I, I, I would not be at the, uh, through, through six episodes if it wasn't for Aaron's help. Oh. But Aaron, so I'm sitting in with, with Mike Salk, my immediate boss, the program director, and, and he's talking to me about things that, that bore me. He, I, it, it's almost <laughs> like he's trying to find out what, what am I passionate about, what am I enthusiastic about. So we talk about sports, so we have to talk about, we're here in Seattle, so we're talking about the Seahawks and the Mariners, and and primarily we talk about the Seahawks all the time, morning, noon, and night, it's Seahawks, Seahawks, Seahawks. And so I just thought, well, I don't know, should should you be honest with your boss? I guess you should be, shouldn't you? (laughs) Yeah. But then it might be held against you because you sit there and you go, well, if I act like I'm not excited about what we're talking about, that doesn't go over very well either. But the reason I'm bringing that up is because when he got to the point of, well, what are you really passionate about? I thought, well, it's it's bark. It's <laughs> it's this podcast. Yes. It is, and it's just because I love yes. dogs so much. I do. I just and you know, it was our first episode when I talked to Bob Stelton, a, a fellow host here at seven ten ESPN Seattle, and he's the same way. And we're just we're just saps. We're we just love dogs. And I know a lot of you, if you're taking the time to listen to Bark, that you do too. And and so that's the one thing that I was really passionate about and why I'm hoping that this whole concept will fly and I can do more barks because we've done six of them. And the first one, as I mentioned, was with Bob Stelton talking about why we love dogs so much. The second one, I, I really appreciated talking to Gary Carlson. And if you get a chance, like you, you might not want to listen to all six of these barks. I hope you do. But if you only have one that you want to listen to, I just think this is really cool. Gary Carlson, a dermatologist down in the L.A. area made a $50 million donation to Oregon State Veterinary Medicine School. And it was just simply he did it out of his love for dogs. And I just, uh, we talked to him about that. And I, I just really enjoyed the conversation with Gary. Yeah, he was a cool guy. He, he was somebody who, when we initially set up the interview to, to pull the curtain back a little bit, and he mentioned this on his interview about being someone who's not looking to be out in public. And he kind of seemed like a, a pretty shy guy. Yeah, he did. Um, and then the two of you just getting to talking to one another and talking about your dogs and your love for dogs. And he really lit up and he was making jokes by the end. And I, yeah, I thought that was a, a great interview. Yeah. Well, well, thanks. I mean, and, and Gary was actually better than what he thought he was going to be. And, and, uh, 
That's another thing I really liked about him. He didn't really want the spotlight on him. He didn't want any praise uh, for for donating $50 million. But when I saw this on Facebook, that's where I found out about it. It was on Facebook. Somebody posted it, and I thought, man, i got to talk to this guy. So I'm really glad that we got the chance to do that. We we also talked about pit bulls. And uh, honestly, Aaron, I, I've had this thing where I see a pit bull, and I'm a little afraid of him, and I stay I, I stay my distance away from him. And yet, come to find out that they're not as bad a breed as what you would think. It has more to do with the owner. We talked to Danny Shelton, who's a football player at the time. When we talked to Danny, he was with the Cleveland Browns, but now he's with the New England Patriots. Anyway, the the whole thing about the pit bulls was I think you would find it interesting because if you're like me, I think once you listen to that episode, you'll have a different feeling about pit bulls. I've named all three of my dogs after, let's see, two of them named after baseball players, Murphy, which was named after Dale Murphy, Willie, which was named after Willie Mays, and then Willie Bloomquist, who was a player for the Seattle Mariners for a while. And then my third dog, (laughs) River, after River Craycraft, who was a football player at Washington State University, and I'm an alum of that school. And so we we ended up, and and River, boy, is he a handful. He just turned, turned one. Hey, and I see we had, we had a one-year-old birthday party for him. Uh, one of the neighbors got him a little doggy cupcake from one of those dog bakery places, and so he he gobbled that up. But uh, you know, he's a handful. Uh, he, he's done damage here in two, two different studios, and I'm ready to kill him. But you know who I should be killing is myself because it's it, again just like with the pit bulls, it has more to do with the owner. Yep. So why would I think that he would behave and follow what I want him to do if he doesn't know what he should be doing? Aaron, help me. What should I do? I, I think you gotta you got to give him some tough love. i got to do you something. Gotta, you got to show him. Now, if you're anything like me, it's hard for you to be, like, strict with an animal like that. Like, I just want to be, like, loving and caring and nice and playful. Um, positive reinforcement. Positive reinforcement. But really, what you're doing when you're sort of exposing them to the rules is you're you're doing good for them. You're helping them. See, that's something I I think I could I could do it on my own, but I think it would be better if I do it in a class. Classes are great. And so I'm thinking about and that could be a future episode of Bark too is just finding out, you know, some of the you know, everybody's getting puppies or maybe you're getting a rescue and and you could use some help too and and uh, maybe I could help you with that and we could we could help each other, but yeah, it's uh and it's for their own safety too. Yep. Because they're like last night we we live on the end of a cul-de-sac and he just he just took off. He just saw another dog down the down the way and he just took off and he crossed the street. Of course, dogs don't look left and right before yeah. they cross and so and there fortunately there wasn't a car coming, but for his own safety. So Anyway, River is a handful, and, and uh, I'm, I'm hoping I, I will continue to keep my job here to, so that I can do more barks, but he has done damage in two different studios now, <laughs> and I will not. <laughs> oh, the last one where he ripped up a cord. Uh, yeah, I won't get too much into that, but uh, you could, <laughs> if you want to hear more about it, you can contact me on Twitter at Coogsgo. Now, the fifth episode of Bark that was really near and dear to me, uh, probably because my last dog, Willie, suffered from... Uh, an eye disease called pigmentary uvitis and and the last year of his life Willie couldn't see and uh so I just the number one thing if I can get anything out there about that will help uh from doing bark from doing these podcasts is trying to raise awareness for pigmentary uvitis for golden retriever owners and and if you have any kind of if you've got cataracts or anything like that uh, there are people there who can help you and uh really enjoy talking to AJ Marler and I'm- I really found a uh, I really found that segment interesting 
because I wasn't aware of this disease. And I think anybody who has any dog should at least Google what breed specific, you know, diseases you should be on the lookout for. Because this is relatively new, pigmentary uvitis. Well, it is, Aaron. And the thing that surprised me the most, and I've had my vet for 30 years, and I love her to death. And I would never say anything bad about her because she's helped me through so many different things with with my two dogs previous to uh, River. And she didn't know about it. She had not heard of pigmentary uvitis. And I was at first I thought, well, how could you not have known about it? And then I thought, well, um, it's a pretty specific disease. It's pretty new. And so, yeah, you bring up a good point there because it's not just pigmentary uvitis. There are other eye diseases that, that may affect your dog. Yeah, and if I remember correctly, it's treatable if it's caught early enough. So the idea is figure out what you should be on the lookout for and talk to your vet about it and get your pets screened for you know, things that, that your doctor may not be on the lookout for because it's such a breed-specific thing. Yeah, that's that's great advice. And, and if you do have a golden, uh, it, by the time your dog is two years old, it'd be a good thing to get that checked out. So when people talk about labor of love, and I know it's a cliche, but it's true for me with Bark because uh, I haven't made any money doing this, to be honest. I mean, I'm just sitting here uh, having fun talking about dogs because, like I told you a few minutes ago, it's it's a passion of mine. Yeah, you're probably like me again if you're listening because everything in in my typical day revolves around my dog, and I'm and I'm married. It, I was going to say, how should, does your family feel should, about that? Well, I think my wife understands. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm not sure. No, I put my dog on a par with the kids, and uh, yeah, well, I love my wife too, but. I just, I think about, like today, I didn't get River out for our, his usual run, so I know he'll be bouncing off the walls. I, I don't Call me crazy. Whatever. <laughs> but it's been fun for me, and I hope it's been fun for you, too, because I've really enjoyed doing these Bark podcasts. It's it's out of my element to do a podcast and do it on my own, and it's, uh, it's, it's good to get out of your comfort zone, and I've had a lot of fun. So thank you for joining us. Really appreciate it. If you want to get a hold of me, I'd like some feedback from you, whether it's negative, positive, in between, it doesn't matter. You can reach me at CoogsGo on Twitter. And if you want to know why I've got such a weird Twitter handle, it's because I had no idea what the heck I was doing when I signed up for Twitter. And somebody, and being a Washington State guy, I always say, go Cougs, and go Cougs was taken, and so I just went with CoogsGo. CoogsGo. So there you have it. But it's Greatest you thing. can just Google it, Jim Moore, and it might pop up there. Or you can reach me at, at my email is jmore at espnseattle.com. I I re- t- yeah, go ahead. I'm Aaron. sorry. Can no. I tell you something? Yeah. You're talking about feedback and stuff. And we do we do a lot of podcast projects in the building. And this one is the one I hear about most. Like of anything we've ever done, everybody is constantly no way. asking about like. No, you're ready to with- win an award with Rachel Bell's. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. The, everybody's like, "What's up with Bark? When's Bark coming out?" Like, no sh- way. I, yeah, I was showing the artwork to people, and they're all like, "Oh my god, this is when's it going to be up?" And yeah, well, cool. There's and, a buzz. And honestly, it's kind of like I was telling somebody the other day. It's not. So I'm 60 years old, and I'm at a point, and and I've been a writer, a sports writer, for most of my career until I got into radio about eight years ago, but I want to write a book someday. I mean, that's always been in the back of my mind, and actually it's about athletes and dogs is what I want to do. I want to find athletes, prominent athletes, and talk to them about their dogs, and it'd be a coffee table type book, and 
and be you know pictures and dogs they've had in their lives, current dogs, all these different things about different athletes. And I haven't done it yet. I, I, I've just been a procrastinator and I haven't followed through on it. And the reason I bring it up is because I just want to get it done. Whether I make a bunch of money off of it or not, I don't really even care. It's just a goal that I have. And it's the same thing with Bark. I just wanted to follow through on my end of it. And, and I have, And I but I don't want to stop at six episodes. I want to continue to talk about dogs. And I hope you'll support me with doing that. So that's, uh, that's basically it. And thanks a lot for joining us on Bark.